Would you turn in your Bibles now? Yeah, and I'm reading today from the new jet lag version of the Bible. It just came out. <laughs> Luke chapter 2. That familiar story beginning in verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. Father, we open up this text this morning. We have heard it for so many years. Even the pagan world has heard it, and it means nothing to so many. It means a whole lot to us because it is by this coming that enables us to be saved. And in this coming, we look for the coming again of our Savior. Help us, Father, at this Christmas season to focus in on the Christmas child, the gift that is indescribable from heaven to earth, you giving your only son for us. In Jesus' name, amen. There was only one day of the year as a child that I had insomnia, and that was Christmas Eve. I could sleep through anything, but Christmas Eve, I was so excited, and I think every child has this experience as they anticipate what they will get the next day. I was wondering, will I get what I asked for, or will it be mounds of T-shirts and underwear and socks? Every Christmas Eve, I imagined in my mind shepherds. I could picture them on that cold December 24th evening in Bethlehem as the sun was setting, shivering out in the cold. And as that picture was in my mind, songs that were so familiar also came to my mind. Oh, little town of Bethlehem was one. Another one, oh, holy night. Now, can you imagine how disappointed I was as I grew up and I took a little history and I studied this scene a bit and I discovered that shepherds don't watch sheep in Bethlehem in December and that probably Jesus was born around Passover rather than in December. Now, I've just shattered a lot of your dreams and your, mis your preconceptions of this event. And uh, I'm often asked how December 25th even got its placement in the calendar. Uh, 
early in the fourth century, Christians started wondering when Jesus was born because they wanted a time to celebrate it. And there were several traditions throughout Christianity already developed. Some celebrated it January 6th. Up to this time, nobody celebrated it December 25th. Most Christians celebrated it in the warmer months. There were several dates. April 20th was an ancient tradition. May 20th was another tradition. Um, March 29th was another fixed date. And September 29th. And so, to clear up the confusion, the bishop of Jerusalem named Cyril, toward the end of the 4th century, wrote a letter to the bishop in Rome named Julius and said... What is the correct date? How will we know? And the bishop of Rome named Julius said, Well, I've always favored December 25th. And it was so close to the Roman celebration of Saturnalia that he favored the 25th. Well, after the time of Julius, a new bishop in Rome emerged. His name was Liberius. And in the later end of the 4th century, he said, The date that we shall celebrate the birth of our Savior will be, henceforth, December 25th. And that's basically how Christmas uh, is celebrated at this time of the year. Church historians may argue, may quibble, may write books about it. But as far as I'm concerned, the event of Christmas is far more important than the date of Christmas. I really don't care what day he was born. I care that he was born. I care that he came I care why He came to save us from our sins. Everything else pales in comparisons as far as importance is concerned. Uh, It was a holy night that night. We don't know what night it was. Probably around Passover. Whatever night, in that little town of Bethlehem, it was a holy night. It was an awesome night. And yet, as the centuries have gone on, we have sort of over-mythologized it. We've added a touch of Disney to it. We have manger scenes with snow falling. We've even named the wise men, who, by the way, didn't come at the birth of Christ, but sometime later, probably when Jesus was much older as a young child. We've even added a drummer boy that the Scripture never talks about. This is a hectic season. In fact, the world has missed the meaning of Christmas. We know this. This is Christmas Eve, and I think if non-Christians were honest, their anthem would be, Oh, hectic night, rather than a holy night. It's like the last night to buy gifts. Oh, and oh, I forgot about all those people, like my husband, my wife, my kids. I better go out and do something about it tonight. But the world has missed the real meaning of Christmas. It was funny for me to walk into the Al Rashid Hotel in Baghdad where CNN stayed during the war and see this huge picture of Santa Claus. I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm in Baghdad. I'm in Muslim country. And there's this big Christmas tree and a picture of Santa Claus. So no matter where you go, it seems Christmas is celebrated, but the meaning is missed. There was a Boston couple I may have told you about some time ago who 
invited people over to a party one evening to celebrate the christening of their son. They brought people over, and about a half an hour into the party, as she went to fetch her baby boy, uh, she went to the bed that the baby was sleeping on to discover that that was the bed people had piled their coats on, and that baby was smothered to death. Now, I hate to even bring that up at a season like this, but as shattering as that is, that is exactly what the world does every year at Christmas to Jesus Christ. He is smothered and pushed out of the way for every other thing. Gain, presence, frivolity. But that night, that holy night, was different from every other night in human history. And first of all, for this reason, it was the night the angels spoke. We read about that in verse 8. There were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, who are these mysterious creatures the Bible calls angels? What is their function? Do they really have illuminated bird wings? And do they really play harps? Are we to think of them uh, with the description sort of like Clarence in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Or exactly what are they? It almost goes without saying that the hottest item in the last few years in the United States of America gift shops are angels. It's a new theme. It's a spiritual theme. Angels. You can find them in porcelain, terracotta, paper mache, in almost any size and uh, shape. They're out there. One Wisconsin homemaker I was reading about has a collection of 11,161 images of angels in her house. And she has decided to take out windows and doors to make room for more shelving to find more of them. That is an obsession. I was reading on the plane ride back home the Life magazine article, In Search of Angels. Maybe you saw that article. I picked up a few tidbits. 69% of Americans do believe in angels. 32% say they have felt an angel's presence. There are three magazines published devoted entirely to angels. This last spring, over 100 new books were written, nonfiction books about angels. If you're a computer buff, there are new websites on the Internet devoted to angels. You can get angel screensavers now and angel mouse pads. I even read about a Michigan group whose slogan is the acronym HALOS, which stands for Helping Angel Lovers Own Stores. This is all in the article. And the author of the article asked the question, Can Mick Angels Be Far Behind? <laughs> of course, there are even angel sightings. This last year, I've heard more people tell me about out on the road, picked up an angel and this and that. You can go on Caribbean cruises, the article that I read said, with angel experts, and they'll tell you how to get in touch with them and all the secrets to be aware of them. Of course, I don't discount angel sightings. They're in the Bible, but it's becoming chic now. It's almost like Elvis sightings. 
And I think for the most part, if you encounter an angel, you don't know it because of Hebrews 13, verse 2. It says, Watch out how you entertain strangers, for some have entertained angels without knowing it. Angels unawares. If you turn to the Bible, oh, I found something else too. One woman in, uh, I don't know where she's from, Eileen Freeman, 48-year-old angelologist, she calls herself, claims that she has a personal relationship with her guardian angel. For many, many years, in fact, this guardian angel helped her lose 150 pounds. And she wrote a little book, The Little Angel's Diet Book. That's also found in the article that I mentioned. Okay, looking at the Bible, it's a different picture. Angels are all over the Bible. They're mentioned over 200, almost 300 times in the Bible altogether. In 34 books of the Bible, they're mentioned. The word in Greek, angel, is angelos, which simply means a messenger. They're usually used of this special class of beings, but sometimes they refer to human messengers. Though when we think of them, we think of them as these spiritual messengers sent by God. Their purpose is to praise God in heaven, to do God's bidding on earth, and here we see them announcing the news of Jesus' birth to Mary to Joseph in chapter 1, and to these poor shepherds in Bethlehem in chapter 2. Angels are invisible most of the time. Every now and then, they manifest themselves. They take on unusual forms, sometimes human forms. Angels were the first policemen, keeping man out of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword. The Bible says in Genesis that Abraham spoke with angels and invited them over for dinner. Wouldn't that be awesome? Hey, honey, we're having a few angels over for dinner tonight. Oh, what do I serve them? Angel food cake? Perhaps would be the menu. Also in Genesis 19, they served as sort of divine bouncers watching out for Lot and his family as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were wanting to have illicit sexual relations. And the angels took care of business. We see that an angel took Peter and sprung him out of prison there in Acts chapter 12. And so they manifest at different times throughout biblical history. A couple reasons I think they're invisible. Number one, they're scary. Not that they're scary to look at, but the thought of sharing my space and time with another worldly being uh, that is an out-of-this-world being, it's a scary thought. Six times in the Bible when angels show up, their first words, don't be afraid. Why? Because they're scared out of their wits, that's why. Don't be afraid. Here they shook, they tremble. There's another reason I think angels are invisible. I believe it's because people have a tendency to worship them. They do. It's interesting that people, rather than going directly to headquarters, will stop at middle management and would love to worship anything other than God. They have done it all throughout history. They worship icons and images and all sorts of other beings rather than God. Even John the Apostle had this temptation in the book of Revelation, chapter 22. It says, When I heard and had seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of an angel, 
which showed me these things. And he said to me, Do not do it, for I am your fellow servant. Worship God. That was the tragic thing I found about this angel article, is that all of the emphasis was not on the sender of the angels, but on the angels who were sent. Now, these angels here are very involved in the birth of Jesus Christ. It seems they're watching over the affairs of what's going on with all of the circumstances around the birth of Jesus Christ. They're watching. In fact, Daniel calls them watchers, like heavenly spies, surveillance teams. Scary kind of a thought. They hear and see everything you do. What you said to your wife this morning, guys, they know. Now, somebody once said, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. These angels are around us, watching us and hearing us. At the same time, we know that they're very interested in the fact that salvation came to mankind. Peter says angels desire to look into these things. They're intrigued as they see people freely responding to God's grace, that God made it so simple for mankind. By the death of His Son, now man can just come directly in contact with God. They marvel at it. They desire to look into these things. Now, I've never seen an angel, and I always like to say, except one, and I married her. But I also am aware that angels exist. I know that I probably, uh, if it were possible, give him a few ulcers from time to time. Uh, They think, oh, now he's going to Iraq this month. Oh, man, let's double up on the uh, team uh, as he goes and crosses that border. But I, I am aware of their protection. Notice in verse 10 it says, The angel said to them, and then over in verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Now, I don't want to shatter all of your conceptions about Christmas, but here goes. (laughs) Every year we sing the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. That's all right. It's a great song. I love it. I will continue to sing it. But did you know there is no reference in the Bible to angels singing at the birth of Christ, but angels saying, speaking, communicating words, articulating a message to them, not singing. They may have. It just says doesn't say anything about it in the text. In fact, if you comb through the Scriptures, there are only two references in the whole Bible to angel singing. One is in the book of Job. It's a bit cryptic. And it speaks in context about the creation of the earth before the fall of man. And it says there in Job 38, 7, The morning stars sang together, and the sons of God shouted for joy. The second reference to angel singing is in the book of Revelation chapter 5, after the curse of the earth is removed, and the four living creatures who are angelic beings around the throne of God, along with 24 elders around the throne of God, sing in adoration and worship. So we know by the Scripture they sang before the fall and they sing after the curse is removed and it could be that they don't sing in the meantime as far as we are concerned. They are anticipating the time that they can sing in exaltation that the curse has been removed. 
Charles Spurgeon said, It is superstitious to worship angels. It is proper to love them. How free from envy the angels were. Christ did not come from heaven to save their peers when they fell. When Satan, the mighty angel, dragged him with the third part of the stars of heaven, Christ did not stoop down from his throne to die for them. He left them to be reserved in chains and darkness until the last great day. Yet angels did not envy men. How free, too, they are from pride. They were not ashamed to come and to tell the news of Christ's birth to humble shepherds. And mark well how they told the story, and you will love them. So this night was different from every other night. It was holy because it was the night the angels spoke. Secondly, it was the night the shepherds saw. There they were out in the fields, the text says, and the angel of the Lord appeared and shone round about them, the glory of God, and they saw it. Have you ever tried to picture the scene? Have you ever tried to imagine the shock? There were no tour buses in Israel in those days. Absolute silence, except a few bleeding sheep. No boom boxes and cars going by. Boom, boom. Just quiet. And for an angel to appear, like a jet breaking the sound barrier, it was a shock. Let me kind of modernize it for the younger person. If you've ever seen Star, uh, Star Trek, that's it. See, it's still the jet lag. You remember when a Klingon war vessel decloaks? Do we have any Trekkies here? Okay, a couple of you understand. When this thing decloaks, it's invisible, and all of a sudden the Federation starship looks out and sees it's a Klingon warship. It's decloaked. It's pointing at us. It's a shock. Here's these angelic beings all of a sudden. Hello. That's why it says they were afraid, and the angel said, do not be afraid. I have walked the fields of Bethlehem. I've tried to imagine this scene. In fact, the other day we were taking off from Amman, Jordan, which is just not far from Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And as we flew over Israel, we flew directly over Bethlehem and Jerusalem. I looked right outside the left of the airplane and saw it looking down. And being this time of the year, I was fascinated with the thought, hey, I'm invading angelic airspace. This is right where those angels appeared, up in this sky overlooking these fields of Bethlehem. It was quite a thought. I had a thrill just taking that 747 out. But it was a shock to them. But what I want to draw your attention to is that the first people that heard the news were shepherds. The angels didn't first go stop in Rome and knock on Caesar's palace door because he was more important. The angels didn't stop and ask permission from Herod. Can we cross your border? He didn't ask the United Nations, is this politically correct to appear at this time? Is this going to create a stir? Just showed up and appeared to the humblest class of people, shepherds. They were despised. They were considered low life. The Orthodox Jews of ancient time considered them unclean because they had to be so preoccupied with their sheep, they didn't have time to make all of the ritualistic ceremonial cleansing. And yet, I love it, the angels appeared to them, had a message for them. You know, that's God's style. God doesn't comb the earth for the highly educated, 
or the elite or the most important, but just the common, simple, average person. People like us. Shepherds out in the field. I shared some of these thoughts with the church in Baghdad the other day that God delights to use common people, that God has chosen, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, the weak to confound the strong and the mighty, and their faces lit up. They related to that. Poor people, common people, many of them who had backgrounds in shepherding. Jesus appeared, or the angel appeared with the news of Jesus to them. By the way, a side note. These shepherds were not running a personal sheep business. It wasn't a personal profit thing. We believe from the historical accounts that these were the sheep that were kept for a special purpose and raised for a special purpose. We know from history that the sheep that were watched in the fields by Bethlehem were raised specifically as sacrificial sheep for the temple in Jerusalem. Because there was a sacrifice every morning and every evening in Jerusalem, just four miles away, that's an enormous stock of sheep you have to have. And to me, it's wonderful to think that these shepherds who raised sheep to sacrifice and atone for the sins of Israel were the first to hear the news of the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world keeping their sheep at night. Now, the shepherds did a few things in response to the angels. Verse 10, they listened to the message. And notice this message, will you? said, we have good tidings of great joy. Please mark that. That's heaven's headlines. Good tidings, great joy. How many people think that God is a killjoy rather than the provider of great joy? Some people think, well, really what the angel meant is, hey, heaven, God's a killjoy. Give your life to him and you'll have abundant bummer forever. Whatever you do, don't be a Christian. It's a drag. It's No, it's good tidings of great joy. Why? Because the message includes this, unto you a Savior is born. Notice that in the text. Not unto you, one of many representatives. Unto you, a token of peace and goodwill toward all people. Now, unto you, a Savior is born. That is His principal role, to save people from sin. A Savior is born in Bethlehem. There was a tourist in New York City who went up to the top of the Empire State Building. It's an amazing, commanding view as you see the city of Manhattan. People look like ants and cars look like ants' toys. And he looked down and he said, Wow, I imagine that's how people must look to God. Nothing could be further from the truth. God doesn't view the pain and the problems of man perched from His tower in heaven. He came to the earth to become one of us, to relate with us and to save us from our misery and sin. That's the good tidings. That's the good news. God became a man. Notice also something, can't miss this, which will be to all people. What does all people mean? All people. And in the Greek it means all people. (laughs) Nothing complicated about that. 
It means everyone. It means that this Savior is for those people in Bosnia and in Iraq and in Jordan and in America and in Africa. Oh, I hear people say, Oh, why don't you keep your religion contained? It's a Western religion. It's a Western lifestyle. How dare you impose evangelistically your Western religion on other people's cultures? Hello. Where did this originate from? The Middle East. The West Bank. We were the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel came from there and spread all over that part of the world through Asia and the Roman Empire and then finally came out west. And let's hear it from Jesus Himself who told His disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And in Luke chapter 24, He said, Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Well, that means you. You're part of all people. Jesus came to die for you. Jesus came to be your Lord. He came to be the center of your family's activities. He came to be the center of your business and your decisions. So none of this, well, I'm glad you found Jesus. He's good for you. No, He's good for everyone. There's no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. It's to all people. So first of all, they listened to the message. Secondly, they looked in the manger. Verse 12, the angel instructed them to go. And it says that they went. Verse 16, they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. They listened to the message. They looked in the manger. How many people stop at the first but they never make it to the second. I know people every year that do this. Every year people are stirred by the Christmas message. They listen to the message. They say, oh, powerful, inspiring message. So what? Have you looked in the manger? Have you yourself peeked, peered, gazed? A personal experience like these shepherds who went and bowed and they spread the news around. Go look yourself. Try Jesus yourself. Don't just listen to the message, but go look in the manger. See, if you don't have Christmas in your heart, you won't find it under a tree. And when you come to that manger, come in humility, as these shepherds did. Third thing they did is they let the message be known. Verse 17. When they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. These shepherds, interesting. They were the first hearers of the gospel, the first believers of it, and the first preachers of it. They couldn't hold it in. They couldn't just say, hey, well, it was a neat night, guys, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, let's talk about it in the morning. They had to go out. They couldn't help but tell people. Can you? Isn't it a thrill to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ? Isn't it great to be a representative of Him? The other day when I sat with the Minister of Religious Affairs for the country of Iraq, who is a Muslim, and I sat down and I was to be the spokesman for this group, and I had Sammy Dagger who interpreted for me. And uh, we sat down in his office, and he's on Saddam Hussein's cabinet. And we sat down and the... uh, 
he, Iraqi camera crew came out of another room and they were filming this. And uh, he said something interesting. He said, since the war and the embargo, as we have looked at the countries that are against us, we see that they are, they are Christian countries. And we have come to believe over the last five years that the Christians are against us. But now we know that it's not the Christians who are against us, but it's the Christians who love us. You have come, and we know that Christians love us. And we said, listen, there's no such thing as a Christian country. There's Christians who live in countries. There's other people who live in countries, but there is no Christian country. But we don't come to you in the name of our president or the United Nations or a political party, but we come to you in the name of our King. Jesus sent us to tell you that He loves you and to show that love to you and to the children of this country. And he said, now we know that Christians love us. I thought, you know what a thrill to represent Jesus as his ambassador and then to preach in that Iraqi church in Baghdad. And that was awesome because I thought of Daniel who lived in that part of the world. In fact, just an hour south was Babylon. And to share the gospel. And I gave an invitation that evening. And 20% of the audience rose to receive Christ as their Savior. I thought, what a thrill. God is at work in the city of Baghdad. Vance Havner said, The gospel is not a secret to be hoarded. It is a story to be heralded. Too many Christians are stuffing themselves with gospel blessings while millions have never had a taste. If you ever walk out of this church and not go out those doors, but go out those doors, there's a message inscribed on stone. It says, Go into all the world. That's what Jesus said. He said, Go. And as I was going over the border, I thought, I remembered that etched on our wall. Jesus never said anything about coming back, but he did say, Go. Go into all the world. Take the message with you. I'll guarantee you something. If you don't evangelize, you will fossilize. And there are too many fossilized Christians around. May we bear that message where we go. Finally, we will close with this point. It was the night the world slumbered. It was the night that the angels spoke. It was the night the shepherds saw. But it was the night the world, for the most part, was asleep. Didn't care. Look at the reaction. Verse 18. And those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Now that can mean a lot of things. You can marvel in a lot of different ways. You can marvel with a holy amazement that leads to adoration. Or you can marvel in sort of a temporary amazement that leads to admiration. By the way, the word means to admire. It's not a real strong word. It means basically that people thought, wow, that's neat. Yeah, I really admire God for that. That's cool. And that was it. And again, that is a reaction that happens too many times in churches at Christmas time. People hear the message, they marvel at it, and that's it. Why did they marvel and do nothing else? And we know they did, by the way, because the scribes and the chief priests who worked for Herod in Matthew's gospel tell us that they even quoted the place where the Messiah was to be born when the wise men came from the east, but they themselves didn't go check it out. Two reasons. Number one, they were busy. They were busy with their religion. Jerusalem, four miles away from Bethlehem, 
where presumably these shepherds went from Bethlehem and the surrounding areas to tell it. Jerusalem was the hub of religion. They had the temple there. And these guys in Jerusalem were busy with ceremonies, with rituals, with sacrifices, and doing everything just so. In other words, they were busy worshiping the right God in the wrong way. Secondly, their ideal of a Messiah was not a baby in a feeding trough told by shepherds. They wanted a a glorious monarch who would line their pockets, who would make them powerful, who would give them what they wanted. And this story of Jesus isn't what they wanted. Well, we can miss Christmas much the same way. We can get busy. There's nothing wrong with being busy. But this time of the year, it's easy to get busy, right? And it's not necessarily with bad things. We're just busy with things. Did I send all the cards out? Will that person be offended if they don't get one? Did I, will they like the present I got? Should I attend that? all of the parties, all the office party? It's just such pressure, such busyness. Have you ever looked at the faces of people in the malls at Christmas? Do you find most people as you walk in, you say, oh, no, this is a different day from most days. This is, look at them, they're just, oh, peace on earth. It's like, get out of my line, man. I want to buy that thing. So intense. Also, we can overlook people, simple people, people that we sit next to in church, people that need encouragement and love. The people of Bethlehem and Jerusalem thought, shepherds are telling us this stuff? So what? Who are shepherds? We can overlook the needs of people. I want to close with this story. Sit back and enjoy it. It'll take a little bit longer than just a couple seconds. Young Pastor Torgensen, resplendent in the new three-piece charcoal gray suit his wife had given him especially for this Christmas Eve service, mounted the platform. An ocean of faces looked back at him. These were the faces of the Red Ridge Community Church, holiday excited and ruddy from the cold outside. The pastor smiled for a second at his wife, who beamed from the first row, and then he began. Before the choir sings our first anthem, Angels We Have Heard on High, let me remind you of a scripture passage about angels. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews 13.2. A tissue-thin shuffle of Bible pages swept through the sanctuary like a rushing wind. Then it stopped as the pastor was about to read Hebrews 13.2. And a murmur rose in the rear pews near the door. To the consternation of several older members, a shocking pair of visitors had entered. The man was tall, blonde, bushy-bearded, a near skeleton in a grimy navy pea coat, The girl was very, very pregnant, swathed in a shapeless beige peasant dress and a tattered sweater and a kerchief that failed to conceal her stringy black hair. Wonder if they're married, whispered a woman in the back row. I never saw the like, not in this church, grumbled a man. From her usual seat, old Mizzy Everett just squinted at the strangers, apparently as confused as ever. Pastor Torgensen paused, smelling trouble. 
Another battle of the old and the new, he sighed to himself. Some of those older folks in the back are ready to throw their hymn books at the young couple. And some of the high schoolers are ready to bean those elders back. Will it never end? Welcome, he finally called out to the bedraggled strangers. We're glad you're here. Sit right down. But it was easier said than done. The young couple had to wind their way to the front and find the only vacant seats. A few hundred curious eyes watched. Now, as I was saying, the young preacher continued, Hebrews 13.2. He cleared his throat. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. He gulped, surprised at the verse's sudden aptness. Uh, Well, uh, perhaps you've read stories about Christmas visitations by angels. Many have been written, most of them pure fiction. But let's remember tonight that our Lord Himself was not recognized for who he was. And let's make sure there's room in our inn tonight. A nod to the choir, and he sat down by the pulpit. The music billowed behind him. He tried not to stare at the young couple, but he couldn't help it. Who were they? Why were they here? All at once it hit him. On Christmas Eve, a bearded young man and a pregnant young woman seeking shelter. Did they have a donkey parked outside too? He smiled to himself. Angels unawares. Well, one never knew. The choir's last Gloria in excelsis Deo faded and the pastor jumped to his feet. He had an idea. In our bulletin, the order of service calls next for a pastoral prayer. But before I lead us, let's find out what we have to pray about this Christmas Eve. Jack, he motioned to an usher. If you'll get the movable microphone, we can have a brief time of sharing our needs. Again, the pastor tried not to gaze at the young strangers, but hoped that they would share their obvious need. After all, this was a unique chance for the church to show hospitality, he thought. Just a brief time, he repeated, unconsciously nodding at old Mizzy Everett in the back. Poor old Mizzy, they called her. She loved sharing times. At the first click of the microphone, she'd jump up as quickly as her arthritis allowed only to ramble on and on about some long-forgotten event or person. The whole congregation would look at the floor, embarrassed, as Mizzy tried to remember a Bible verse or sing a song in her rusty squeal of a voice. It was starting to put a damper on the services, some people said. The pastor's hopes rose as the bearded young man started to get to his feet. But Mizzy was up first, and she took the microphone from the reluctant usher. An almost audible groan went up from the congregation. Ah, thank you, Mizzy, the pastor said after a minute of the old woman's rambling. But she droned on. I wish she'd take a hint, the pastor thought. Poor old Mizzy, her mind starting to go. She still pedals that three-wheel bicycle all over town, making a spectacle of herself. Even if the older members... Even the older members shook their heads about it. Finally, she surrendered the microphone. We'll be sure to pray about that, Mizzy, uh, the pastor said, then looked to the young couple. This time, the skinny fellow made it all the way to his feet. Uh, I don't know anything about talking in church or nothing, he began slowly. But my old lady, he indicated the girl at his side, I mean my wife, and I really need a place to stay tonight. We saw the lights and we came in. The pastor watched the young man speak, touched by his need. We're glad you did, the pastor said, and I'm sure we can find you a place to stay. By the way, what's your name? The young man looked away shyly. I'm Joe, he said, and this is Mary. A startled murmur was heard. 
Joseph and Mary? asked the pastor. Yeah, I know how it sounds, said the young man, growing red-faced, but it's true, really. The pastor couldn't hold back a chuckle of wonderment. Indeed it is, he said, and quoted Hebrews 13.2 again. Angels unawares. Inspired, he thanked the young man and prayed fervently for the couple's needs. The families gathered, and there was one the world's longing for peace on earth. There was no doubt about it. The choir sounded sweeter than ever that night. The ancient story from Luke was never better read or more poignant. The atmosphere seemed rarer, closer to heaven, with that young couple sitting in the front. When the time had come for the benediction, Pastor Torgensen looked out on the Christmas Eve faces and spoke from his heart. Let there be room in our inn tonight, he said. Let us reach out to the Lord of Christmas and to one another. May we be different from one another because he came, we can be one. Downstairs, where the church ladies had prepared punch, coffee, and cookies, the congregation streamed in for a bit of fellowship. The pastor and his wife brought cups of coffee to the young man and woman only to discover that several parishioners had already done the same. We'd be happy to have you stay at our house tonight, Joe and Mary, volunteered a middle-aged couple. I was going to say the same thing, said another. A group of high schoolers brought cookies and punch to the strangers. Pastor Torgensen smiled broadly and hugged his wife. Over in the corner by the coffee percolator, old Missy Everett sat alone with both hands around a cup of punch. She squinted at the sea of people, seemingly confused by the noise. Then suddenly she put down her punch, looked at her watch. As if on schedule, she picked up her purse and made her way to the door along the crowd's edge. Nobody noticed her leave. The night was cold. Setting her jaw determinedly, Missy struggled against her arthritis to mount her three-wheeled bicycle. So frail, these mortal bodies, she thought, dumping her purse into the bike's basket. Her legs strained, pumping the pedals. Ice puddles cracked underneath the wheels all the way out of town. The city limit sign flashed past. Wheezing, she knew she could go no further. Slowly, she parked by the side of the road. The highway was deserted. Only the stars and heaven watched as she climbed the sloping field by the road, her breath coming in hoarse gasps. A dog barked in the distance. Christmas Eve, she thought looking at the sky, just like that first Christmas Eve when she had sung with the others. But that had been easy compared to this assignment. This time she had to take on a body for such a long time, not like that Sodom and Gomorrah visit or the rest. She stretched and felt a pain. It was good to be going home. Smiling, she closed her eyes and reached heavenward. Slowly, the creases in her face vanished, the twisted hands unfurled. Going home, she thought. Brighter and brighter, her face glowed. Her old coat transformed into the robe the color of the sun. It was an angel's robe. At last, she thought, at last. There was a silent flash in the night, and Missy Everett was gone. Oh, those people, the least of these, my brethren, Jesus said. Who are they exactly? Don't know. But Christmas can be so overlooked and people can be so overlooked. Oh, those people, the least of these, my brethren, Jesus said. 
Who are they exactly? Don't know. But Christmas can be so overlooked and people can be so overlooked. 